The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by TechTown Detroit, Detroit's entrepreneurship hub. TechTown Detroit is a business incubator and accelerator, helping tech startups and local businesses launch and grow. TechTown supports businesses with co-working and office space, meeting space, and event space. They also connect entrepreneurs to resources and learning and networking events in Detroit. Join TechTown Detroit Thursday, October 10th for their annual fundraiser, Toast of the Town, a benefit celebrating Detroit's entrepreneurial spirit, which includes the fourth annual Salute Awards. Tickets available at techtowndetroit.org toast. TechTown Detroit, a 501c3 nonprofit helping Detroit startups and businesses start, stabilize, and scale. Hey everybody, happy Monday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Have an interesting show coming up for you today. One of the things we're going to be looking at are some proposed changes to licensing requirements or so-called LPCs, Licensed Professional Counselors. There are some changes that would not allow them to diagnose patients in the way that they used to and those involved in the mental health profession say a change like this without some reason for doing it or without some legislative clarity could absolutely decimate the mental health delivery system here in the state. We'll find out why it's so important, why LPCs are so important to the process, and what should be done about it. Also, we'll take a look at some budgetary aspects that could impact mental health delivery in the state as well on the program today. Stay with me for The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology, faster than thought possible, to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for checking out the show on this Monday. Well, if you've ever had any dealings with the mental health system, maybe you needed some help with uh, an alcohol problem or an addiction issue, or maybe your child has needed some counseling help at school because they're dealing with some emotional problems, or you've been dealing with depression, or somebody in your family has been dealing with depression, or any number of other problems that are out there that require you to talk to somebody and get some sort of counseling. Chances are your first contact was with somebody called a licensed professional counselor. Now, there are some proposed changes here in the state that would not allow them to do some of the things that they currently do, like diagnosing certain patients with certain problems, and would potentially put a number of them out of business and also could severely hurt mental health delivery systems here in the state of Michigan. Now, the rationale for doing so is pretty simple. They want to make sure that the standards for the LPCs are in line with what the state law suggests, but there is some debate about that. And confusion around this led to a hearing the other day in front of the state's Licensing and Regulatory Affairs Division, also known as LARA, that drew hundreds, hundreds of people who deal in the mental health profession to the system to talk about how potentially detrimental these changes could be. And in response to that, the state has delayed the rules change until they can study it a little bit further. But I thought it'd be a good idea to find out a little bit more about what's at stake and exactly what LPCs do here in the state. So joining me right now to discuss it is Carol Zuniga, Executive Director of Hagira Health in Livonia. And Carol, we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Craig. It's great to be here. Well, I think before we start talking about the potential impact of of, uh, some of these proposed licensure changes and what's going on here, I think we should probably fill in the audience as to the role that LPCs play in Michigan, especially in the mental health system here in the state. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know the difference necessarily between somebody who is maybe a psychiatrist or a psychologist or an LPC. So fill us in a little bit on the differences there. 
Sure. There are um, three primary licenses and degrees that persons with master's degrees hold in the state of Michigan who are licensed to provide therapy services. And one of those would be a licensed professional counselor or an LPC. Uh, the other two would be um, a licensed master social worker um, or a, li- uh, a limited licensed psychologist. Okay. So the limited licensed psychologist, talk a little bit about the role that they play here. So in, a, in an outpatient setting or even in a hospital setting, those three degrees uh, serve a lot of the same role when we're talking about therapists. So um, an individual comes into a clinic, they meet with a master's level clinician, that clinician has the capacity to evaluate, assess, diagnose, create a treatment plan, and continue to provide treatment um, until the person's situation has been resolved. Okay, so um, obviously, you know, there's there's been some push to change the licensing requirements here. You know, just and it's tough to sort of say what the impact would be, but I've heard some very dire predictions for a lot of people that are dealing with people who are going through, say, addiction treatment or just mental health counseling. Yeah, no, the impact would be huge in Michigan. So we're um, whether people know it or not, we're already going through. Um, a, a difficulty hiring and finding master's level clinicians to, to fill these services, these very, very needed services in Michigan. Um, there are, it's estimated that there are about 10,000 LPCs in Michigan. I can speak um, for my agency alone when you, when you talk about numbers of people served. So at Hagera Health, um, we employ right now about 75 licensed professional counselors. And last year, they served 7,000 individual people. So when you multiply that across the state and the numbers of people impacted who would not have access to those same services, you're, you're talking about um, a mental health disaster. Well, and, and again, I mean, I don't think people realize just, you know, how many of the people that they might be dealing with in a treatment basis are considered LPCs and not necessarily psychiatrists or, or uh, the other level. Um, and, and when you talk about the types of services that they provide, what types of services are we talking about that most people might come into contact with an LPC for? Um, most likely in an outpatient clinic. So an LPC serve a, a huge range of, of disorders based on their training and interests. Um, it could be a child with maybe an adjustment issue at school, uh, maybe a child with um, ADHD who needs therapy in addition to support from maybe a psychiatrist or a primary care physician um, with medication. LPCs do marital counseling. They do family counseling. They provide substance use therapy. Um, they are in hospitals providing support services, running psychotherapy groups. The range of what they do and who they do that for is huge. Yeah, and, and most people, again, I don't think really care a whole lot about the differences necessarily, as long as they feel like they're getting the attention that they need uh, to address their problem. Uh, and, and without LPCs, obviously, it seems there would be a massive shortage of people able to actually diagnose and treat some of these people. Absolutely true. I mean, it truly would be a disaster for mental health and substance use care um, in the state of Michigan. So in terms of level of training uh, and the difference that would be required, what Lara is suggesting needs to happen there, that's licensing and regulatory affairs here in Michigan. They suggest that they are just making their changes here to comply with what state law says is 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 uh, legal right now. Uh, there is some legislation that would probably bring these two things into balance, but what's your concern there? Are you concerned that the legislature is not going to make the needed changes to make sure that the LPCs can continue in their current role? 
No, it, it does seem um, that through the advocacy of the LPCs themselves, that the legislature understands the current situation and understands that LPCs have been providing these services for the last 30 years, despite what the statute um, indicates. So in the statute, it doesn't. So we're talking about a statute that was written actually back in, I believe it was 1978. And it, it doesn't say that an LPC can't diagnose or treat. It just doesn't clearly say that they can. So when Lara rewrote some rules and they were really looking at updating education, um, credentialing and accreditation requirements for, um, for advanced degrees and, and where people needed to be trained and what their training needs to look like, and they were updating some supervision rules and um, some relicensure when people have lapses in their licensure and how to apply those rules. So they're updating those. And they just kind of carried forward the language from 1978, irregardless of what the practice has actually been. And so the, the law that the, the House right now is looking at, and we really think it's going to pass, um, HB 4325, we think it's going to pass tomorrow and go to the Senate, and we hope that it gets to the Senate as well, and will really just allow LPCs to continue to do what they've been doing successfully for the last 30 years. Well, and, and we do know that there are a shortage of people that are qualified in this state to actually handle the number of people that probably could utilize some form of, of mental health assistance. Um, but at the same time, you, you actually do have some people with the Michigan Psychi- Psychiatric Society uh, they don't necessarily like what Lara is doing here, but at the same time, they don't think that LPCs should be allowed to diagnose patients. Uh, and, and are there limits as to what LPCs should be able to diagnose, something that only psychiatrists, for instance, should be able to diagnose? Well, LPCs are not medical doctors. So LPCs are, are not diagnosing um, non-behavioral health um, diagnoses. So I I have read a few um, issues raised by psychiatrists that have pointed out some um, anomalies, some very unusual medical conditions that were not caught by an LPC, but may not have been caught by a primary care physician or even some psychiatrist. So there's really no strong stance to say that that there have been any prevalent issues um, as long as people are trained properly and that the education is consistent with what Lara says must be, and the supervision is consistent with what Lara says must be, there have been no prevalent issues to say that LPCs should not be diagnosing. And I I would like to point out, Craig, that the legislature attempted to do the same thing um, in a a different, in a minorly different way to master's level psychologists last year. And that occurred during lame duck session and it just kind of faded away. Um, but the same thing was posed and the same argument was made that, you know, if you do this to this master's level group who's providing the majority of the treatment in the community to persons in need, that you're going to devastate the access to services to people in our communities. I should remind folks, my guest right now is Carol Zuniga, who is the executive director at Higira Health. We're talking about proposed changes to licensing for LPCs here in Michigan and some of the changes that the legislature is looking at, not only in that uh, form, but also in uh, mental health funding and budgeting here in the state of Michigan. And Carol, I I do want to change focus just a second because it does sound as if some progress is being made. Uh, There were a number of people that showed up at a hearing for Lara uh, just on Friday, if I'm not mistaken. These are hearings that normally attract maybe a dozen people. Uh, 
the room was packed. I was really shocked at how many people showed up for, for a legislative hearing like that. It was pretty impressive stuff. Were you surprised? Um, no, I wasn't because I, I knew what was happening here uh, on the ground in the community. And I wasn't able to be at that hearing, but I had several staff who actually presented. Um, so I was really proud of them and their arguments were strong and clear. And uh, it is my understanding also that Lara is going to pause their decision making on the new rules um, and that they're waiting for the laws to catch up. Okay. Well, I do want to talk about a couple other things that are going on when it comes to mental health uh, uh, treatment here in the state of Michigan, especially when it comes to state funding of this. Uh, There was a budget bill. Now, it has since been vetoed by uh, Governor Whitmer, but we don't know whether or not this is going to be part of any further budget negotiations in the state. But they had inserted a provision in the 2020 state budget that would further privatize uh, mental health services around the state. And, you know, for a lot of people that may not sound that interesting, it may not sound like something that they need to worry about necessarily. But what was the impetus behind this? Why are they trying to steal more of this uh, to the private sector? Well, I, I mean, from, from my perspective, the main impetus um, is, is finance. And the um, private health plans came in a couple of years ago and proposed to the, the then governor that um, they would be able to take over these services and, and save Michigan um, an exorbitant amount of money. But, the, but that was presented with no evidence. Um, so as a consequence of that, they were putting together pilots to see if what they were proposing would actually work, and the pilots have never um, come to be. Look, the idea behind this was to, you know, take advantage of uh, some of the Medicaid uh, physical health systems that you have in place, merge them with mental health services underneath some of these bigger plans, the total health care, some of the other big Medicaid providers here in the state. Is there an advantage to doing that way, or is this something that's going to interfere with the mental health system that we have across the state right now? Well, it certainly makes sense um, that there be an integration of um, behavioral and and physical health. I mean, from a whole health perspective, from a wellness perspective, it's really impossible to separate out the two. And and it's been a long time coming that the two begin to work together to decimate what's been created as a successful community mental health community based system um, for decades. um, And and just uproot and change and privatize um, those of us who are, are involved deeply in the community mental health system, um, just don't see how that that plan, that dramatic plan um, will be successful for the people that we serve. Well, like I said, it was vetoed at this point in time. We don't know what's going to happen with that at this at, uh, at this juncture, and we will sort of follow up on it. But, you know, from from a, a citizen's perspective here, somebody who's not involved in the mental health system, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis, it certainly seems as if this system has become a political football over the years, uh, whether it was going back to the Engler administration and the closing of, of state clinics. Uh, this is not something that is just, you know, only happening here in Michigan. To this community-based mental health system, uh, we We've seen a reliance on the correction system for a lot of the mental health services that we need in the state. Why do you think that this is something that we have been so reluctant to do a better job on over the years? Yeah, no, and I think that, you know, in behavioral health, you you have to look at the advancements that we've made in treatment and that we have to move and move with those advance, advancements, particularly around um, better use of medication, identification of improved medication. Um, and medication that not only alleviates uh, 
symptoms of mental illness, but also have lesser secondary effects and health effects on the people who use them. And we have to look at evidence-based practices. We know a lot more about how to help people. So, you know, some of the politics have been related to the the services not keeping up with what we know and the dollars that are available um, and um, just keeping things in, in tight alignment. And what we now know about integrated healthcare. And but, but again, I go back to it's not necessary to, to decimate a system that has been very successful in many ways um, and just completely destroy it, uproot it. All of the thousands and thousands of people who are part of that system, um, the, the people that are served as well as the people that work in that system. Um, and, and that would really be a detriment to everyone. Well, Carol, I do want to give you an opportunity to answer this question because I I know that most of the people involved in the mental health system around the state, and I've I've interviewed many of them over the years, will always argue that resources are scarce. uh, There could always be more done. Um, Outside of of just the status quo and the way the system works right now, what would be a major change that you could see that would greatly improve people's, one, access to mental health, and two, help them understand that mental health problems are not something that uh, they should be uh, ashamed of or, or not seek treatment for? Yeah, so stigma continues to be a huge issue for us. And and I think that in some way, some integration will help decrease that stigma if we didn't have to go to two separate places all the time for our behavioral health care and our physical health care. People wouldn't feel like that you're an outlier when you have to go to that. I mean, 25% of people at some point in their life experience a pretty serious mental health or substance use issue. That is a lot of people. But if we had a way to pull the services closer together, I think people would feel more comfortable. Today, we still find that people are reactive and not proactive and how we're addressing mental health and substance use issues. Now, if the legislature were to make some changes in that regard, what could they do that would actually help you uh, make that make that a reality, that, that this becomes a part of, say you go to the doctor just for your annual checkup, you spend 10 minutes talking to an LPC or somebody just to get a sense as to where you are. Right, so we're doing a lot more of, of that in, specifically. So um, like at Hegera, we have staff who are providing services in um, different health clinics around the community. We actually have staff who are in private physician offices who are providing support. We have a large program that we partner with Garden City Hospital Emergency Department. We have staff there every day, seven days a week, that help and, and coordinate and make sure that people who are coming in for maybe one identified problem might not realize that they also have a behavioral health issue going on too that's contributing to that health problem. So I see a lot of that happening now more of it needs to be supported. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it right there. Carol Suniga, we certainly appreciate your time today. And uh, if anything changes, we will follow up. But we appreciate you giving us your time. Thanks so much, Craig. I appreciate it. Carol Zuniga is the executive director of Hagira Health in Livonia. We appreciate her being on the show with us today. Hey, a quick reminder, coming up on tomorrow's program, hoping to have my friend Saeed Khan back on the program from Wayne State University to break down what is happening in northern Syria between Turkey, the United States, and the Kurds. 
There's a lot of people wringing their hands over this in Washington today, and Saeed is the one to help us sort out what's behind a lot of this and what is the overall problem in the region when it comes to the relationship between the Turks and the Kurds and why this is creating such a problem there. So we're going to get Saeed on the program tomorrow to talk about that. Some other things coming up later in the week. Of course, on Fridays, we always do the week that was. Looking forward to that. And I've got a couple of other cool things that I've got lined up that are a little off the beaten path and interesting. At least I hope you find them interesting. If you do, or if you don't, send me some feedback. Show at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch, but you can always find me on Flash, oh, Flash something, no, how about uh, Snapchat? That's what I was trying to say. How about LinkedIn? How about Facebook? How about Twitter? How about Instagram? All those things, you can find me there as well. So, shoot me a line. Let me know what's going on. I don't even know if anybody says shoot me a line anymore. I don't think so, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Thanks for checking out the program today. If you like it, make sure to subscribe to it, hit the like button, rate it, all that good stuff. Let other people know that we're out here. And the better ratings I get and the more people that chime in, well, the more people are going to find it and they can recommend it to those that maybe have yet to discover what I'm doing here. Now, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, I don't expect you to do any of those things, but I still appreciate you listening. Anyway, have a fantastic Monday. It looks like we're going to have decent weather at least for a few days this week. Enjoy it while you can because it's only going to get colder from here. Have a great day, everybody. See you tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit.